Well, I invite your attention to the uh, public reading of God's Holy Scripture as we find it in Romans chapter 2 and verses 17 to 29. Again, let's give our reverential attention uh, to the Word of the Lord. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore the circum, um, pardon me, the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his, not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he who is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's uh, go to the Lord again in prayer, in particular... Uh, remembering uh, the needs of uh, the church in the world and, of course, of our own assembly here this morning. Let us pray. We pray, Lord, for Thy glorious presence in our assembly and that our lives would reflect the glory of uh, God in all of our journeys and chapters. We remember the sick whose declining health keeps them from our presence, be near to them, in thy good and merciful grace, may they be able to join us soon. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling with fear of the virus, keep us all safe to the end that we might continue together as thou hast ordained, more importantly, that we would continue to serve thy great kingdom. We remember, Lord, our youth this morning. Commend them to thy providence. Protect them from the deceptions of Satan, from worldliness, from wandering and for the gospel, and may they be example to all of us to engage the same. Bless our marriages and families. May they be breeding grounds to grow up successive generations, to continue the traditions which we have been taught from the Word of God. Lord, for all who labor, we ask for our daily bread, prosper the work of our hands, and help us all to be good stewards of the time and talents thou hast given to us. And we pray urgently, Lord, for thy protection upon the church of Jesus Christ in 
distant places, particularly Afghanistan, which is about to enter a time of great physical suffering. May they persevere and not deny Christ. May they hold fast the promise of the resurrection to glory. Lord, restrain in thy goodness and power the forces of evil. And now, Lord, for our humble attempts to meet the living God in the living Word, may it impart to us wisdom, grace, and strength to the end that we would be fitted out to advance thy kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Most of you all are familiar with the fact that there are many symbols of the Christian faith. Uh, many times we, we wear them on occasion, crosses or whatever. Um, sometimes uh, people put those symbols on their automobiles, some type of bumper sticker, or act out some measure of the Christian faith. And of course, while nothing in and of itself is wrong with these things, uh, there is grave danger when one's conduct betrays the symbol. Uh, it was a problem for uh, the Jews in Paul's day. It's really the essence of our text this morning. Uh, that's also a problem today. Uh, and of course, it's a reminder that the spiritual priority uh, is uh, inward renewal of the heart that can only be affected by Christ and His power and not by the wearing of some symbol. For it is by that power that we act accordingly and not improperly. And Paul is going to instruct the Jews in the city of Rome and really throughout time uh, that the law and circumcision condemn all who are not identified uh, with Christ and a changed life. So, if you re recall the words of the Apostle, he's uh, confronting uh, the Jews of his day and uh, taking away every excuse they have uh, and uh, demolishing their, I call them redoubts, but the places where men and women go to hide, uh, particularly behind symbols, uh, to hide that they are something that perhaps they are not. And uh, that's going to continue this morning in, in the text that is before us. Uh, he's going to assail them, if you will, in two identifying markers that uh, they think keep them safe from the judgment of God. Uh, specifically, the law and circumcision. Uh, and it is, a, it is a reminder that, again, I don't have a problem with people wearing crosses or certain aspects of the Christian faith. Uh, we all do physical things. We come to church. But uh, nothing protects us from the judgment of God apart from the saving power of God uh, in His Son. So we begin this morning with the law. Verses 17 to 24. The reality that the Old Covenant privilege of protecting and defending the law is obviated by their hypocrisy in breaking the law. Uh, Paul begins by establishing their 
uh, presumed privileged status. Verses 17 to 20. And there's a long string here of their presumptions. In fact, six uh, to be precise. Uh, the first uh, presumption that they have that they think keeps them from the judgment of God is uh, their, their ethnicity. In another book, Paul will tell all of us that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the real identifying marker of the people of God, not ethnicity. And only he can change lives to be sure. Ethnicity doesn't change anything. Uh, God does. God's the great changer. Uh, the second uh, readout uh, is they were relying or trusting in the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. By the works of the law, Paul says, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh at all be justified. Uh, they boast in God. Uh, reminder, um, Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. God says of uh, the Jews, uh, this people uh, honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's always the essential issue, the heart. Uh, Acting out the Christian faith, nothing wrong with it per se, but uh, the heart of the matter is, of course, the heart. And only God can change the heart. They profess to know His will, because they have the law. But Paul has already said, it's not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law that will be justified. And so they, uh, instructed by the law, they think that they can distinguish as to the things that matter, confident in their role as guide light, corrector of the foolish, and teacher of the immature. I mean, that's kind of sweeping everything into one broad category. I mean, if you can do all these things, you're pretty special. But they're not doing them, and they're not special at all, because, uh, because they're really hypocrites. Uh, great example here in terms of doing the law is the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul was the great doer of the law. I mean, he was like uh, first in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he says, whatever things were gained to me, I kind of was lost. It's privilege of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. In other words, he goes to his own trophy case as a Jew. And he was the best of the best. And he ransacks it and throws it all away. Because he knows it's worthless. Listen to what he says. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. It may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but the righteousness which comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way we're justified. It's the only symbol, if you will, that really matters. And that, as you know, is written on our hearts. Because it's the only thing 
that matters at all before God. He makes us just by the righteousness of His own uh, Son. And of course, the law points to the Son who thankfully in His grace fulfilled the law for us because we could not. He did. And that righteousness is charged to us in justification. Nevertheless, that was their resume. Uh, I was always very careful when people would send me resumes when I was in business. Why is that? Well, you know why. People have a way of inflating <laughs> their, their resumes. I always loved the one that people would say they uh, had certain degrees of certifications and um, if you ever asked them to produce those, they simply went away. Be very careful of inflating your resume to God because all He really looks at is the righteousness of Christ. It's the only thing that really matters. Righteousness of Christ. Yeah. And of course, everyone has a resume. Understand that. One of my favorite illustrations in the Bible is Matthew 19. Rich young ruler comes before Jesus. And he says, what good thing, Lord, must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, there's no one good but God. One of the reasons I say that is because the vast majority of people think they are good enough to get in. In one sum summary statement, Jesus has just said, there is no one good but Himself. So you should identify with Him. Because it's only His goodness that gets you to God the Father. So the man says to Jesus, well, try me out. And Jesus repairs to certain aspects of the Decalogue. And uh, then he, Jesus says to him, go do these things. And the man's response is, well, I've done all those things. Give me something harder. <laughs> Uh, give me a real tough one, Lord. He says, well, go, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. At that point, he walked away. So we should be very careful with our resumes. And we should also remind people to be very careful of their resumes in light of the rich young ruler. Identify with Christ is essentially what Christ tells them, and you can't do that. Remember a number of years ago, I was reading uh, Hebrew with a rabbi, and uh, kind of tough to read Hebrew with a rabbi, but nonetheless, I was, uh, I was uh, making a measure of a headway, and um, uh, at some point, believe it or not, in our relationship, uh, I asked him about Christ and uh, following Christ. He said, well, I, I, I could never do that. I said, well, well, what gives? Why couldn't you? Because it means I would have to give up everything that is important to me. It isn't that the point. That He is the only thing that ultimately is of supreme importance at all. Christ and Him alone. And it is a reminder to be very careful for all of us about self-defining our Christian faith. Because only God's definition matters. And his definition is the doctrine of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Furthermore, to misuse symbols is 
uh, to incur judgment. And even Christians need to be aware of that. They come under the discipline of God for wearing something and then exhibiting behavior uh, that uh, might cause people to blaspheme God. It's a good reminder that signs uh, and symbols do not save at all. Only God saves. But in verses 21 to 24, Paul is going to assail them with a number of rhetorical questions, meaning that they're, they're, they're violators of the law, that they, that they tell the world that they keep. Uh, and, and, and the chief one is, do you teach yourself? You teach everybody else, but have you learned your own lesson? Kind of a definition of hypocrisy. And that's really what they are. Again, the rest center around the Decalogue. Stealing, adultery, idolatry, uh, allusions all to Exodus chapter 20. Matthew 23. Jesus tells his disciples, do what the scribes and the Pharisees tell you to do, but don't do what they do. Because they don't do what they teach. Uh, the last uh, condemnation is uh, verse uh, verse 20. A little bit problematic. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Uh, the verb robbing temples is only used here in the New Testament. It is uh, not found at all in the Greek translation of the Old Testament except in uh, non canonical books. So what does it mean to rob temples? Uh, I believe there's a, a conceptual parallel to this in the Old Testament, Malachi uh, chapter 1. Last book of the Old Testament. First thing in Malachi... Uh, the prophet is doing essentially what Paul has been doing. He brings some complaints against God uh, to his countrymen. And they respond to him by saying, hey, wait a minute, we've done none of those things. And then God says, oh, yes, you have, and let me tell you what you've been doing. Let's look at Malachi chapter uh, 1 and verses 7 and 8. You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. And so God answers them. I'll tell you how you're defiling my temple. When you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? I mean, they were told not to do those things. It's to be a spotless lamb. You couldn't bring a, a, a blind animal uh, but that's what they were doing. They thought they could get by on the cheap and that God wouldn't know. Sometimes we think that way. But it reflects a very low view of God and we are cautioned against that. In the days of Jesus, the, the priest uh, had made a money-making machine out of the temple doing currency exchange and a monopoly on the sale of animals. Uh, if some righteous man bought a lamb without spot or blemish, they would they would find one, so he would have to buy it from them so that they could make a few more bucks. Just turned it into a bank. Defiling the temple, if you will. 
Uh, again, uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? God answers in tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. The point of the tithes was to support the priests and the Levites in their teaching, ministry, and uh, in uh, the cultus of the sacrificial system. But they were withholding from God. It's really more than money. It's a way of life. So God is condemning them. Remind you, in the Old Testament system, uh, they were to bring the first fruits to God. The firstborn animal of their flocks or of their herds. Uh, the first fruits of their barley harvest. And on and on. God got the first fruits. But they were withholding that from God. In the New Testament, we're the first fruits. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, uh, every firstborn son belonged to God. Uh, but God set aside the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron to represent the nation as the first fruits. So the firstborn son was not killed. But now in the New Testament, we're the first fruits. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Paul says, because God has chosen you as first fruits. In the doctrine of election, every Christian is the first fruits, that their life is to be given uh, in service to Christ. And however form that breaks out butcher, baker, candlestick maker, or a teacher of the Word. First fruits. The entirety of our lives belongs to God. Revelation uh, chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. Um, there's a great host before the heavens praising God. And John asks the question, who, who are those before the throne praising God? And the answer is, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and the Lamb. If you name the name of Christ, you're the first fruits. You belong to God. Everything you have belongs to Him. Use it wisely for His glory. He knows you need to pay your mortgage and gas bill and on and on. He, he, he knows that. He gets it. He understands it. Uh, but recognize He has appointed you as steward over your household uh, for His glory. Uh, adorn your house with the grace of God. For the glory of God. It's the first fruits that belong to Him. Because you've been purchased by God. And you belong to Him. And we're to live accordingly.
I mean, that's the great theology, is it not, of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Paul says, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they brought bulls and goats. In the New Testament, we are the sacrifice we bring ourselves. It's a beautiful mixed metaphor. We're the temple, we're the priests, and we're also the sacrifice for the glory of God, forever and ever for the glory of God. The chief rule that should govern all of us, visibly and invisibly, is the glory of God. What brings Him glory? Manifests His presence among the nations is the glory of God. Uh, the section uh, closes with a citation from Isaiah 52. God says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's very interesting. Uh, the context of Isaiah 52 is a summons to the nation to leave Babylon, to return home to the nation. Think of how difficult that must have been. Lord, I just brought my new... <laughs> I just bought my new Corvette. You want me to leave it here and go back to Israel? And where there's got to replant the, all the fields and established herds and, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live for God in Babylon. And because of that, they were blaspheming God. Because it's a reflection that they couldn't trust God. God wouldn't take care of them and bless them. Reminder. Uh, in Babylon, they had the Bible. Again, the great Babylonian text type is form of really much of our Old Testament today. But they weren't doing it. They were staying in Babylon. Uh, reminder, you and I are to be very careful not to be a part of spiritual Babylon. We're to get out and leave and join the Exodus uh, and serve God at the first fruits. Reminder of uh, the New Testament illustration of all of this in the Second Corinthians chapter three that the old covenant is gone. It's a new covenant, and uh, God has given us the Spirit uh, who writes His law in our hearts. Uh, verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Being manifested to you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. When you know Christ, He's written His law upon your heart so that you instinctively, by the power of His Spirit, begin to live it outwardly in your life. Not because you have a tablet, Not because we, we build a monument to that. There's one, we have Ten Commandments very close to the Capitol building in downtown Oklahoma City. Do one better. Live it by the power of the Spirit. And then the world will know that we belong to the great and only Savior. Verse 6, who has also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not a letter, but by the Spirit. The letter kills, Spirit gives life. Ten commandments don't save, God saves. And when He saves, by the Spirit, you'll keep them. Great words of our Savior, 
reflecting the new covenant in John chapter 6, verse 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I give you, Jesus said, are spirit and life. Great reminder that uh, we're to be careful of symbols. And by the Spirit, we live out the reality of a changed and changing life by grace and by the Spirit. So he is, uh, Paul has just demolished their redoubt of uh, being keepers of the law. He's called their hand. And now he goes to the second symbol that they hold very dear, and that is circumcision. Verses 25 to 29. Essentially, he's going to tell them that the old covenant sign of circumcision is utterly irrelevant in terms of the physical sign. Uh, The allusion is to uh, Genesis 17, when uh, God uh, approaches Abraham and gives him the sign of the old covenant. It was the sign of their covenant relationship with God that he had with his people, that they belonged to him. Uh, but the outward sign was to signify an internal relationship that they belonged to God. Evidenced in their conduct. Even the law told them that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, uh, God says, circumcise your heart. Well, nobody can do that except God. Except God. He can circumcise the heart. Men can cut their flesh. They can't cut their heart. That's, That's the prerogative and the parameters of God by His power. Yeah, Jeremiah chapter 4, 4, um, God, uh, God tells the nation, circumcise yourself to the Lord and circumcise your heart. Even there, uh, the outward sign and symbol uh, was a prelude of a greater circumcision yet to come. Namely, in the New Covenant. Let's let's look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 30. uh, Because here it gets just gets incredibly beautiful. Because he's telling them things they can't do. Man cannot circumcise his heart. So how does he get it? The Messianic sign, I think. Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. In other words, God's going to do it. And the Spirit is the ultimate sign of the new life and the new covenant manifested in a changed life. And that's Paul's proposition, that the physical sign is utterly irrelevant. The greater sign is the changed and changing life in Christ by the Spirit. Not in symbolic acts, like wearing a cross, 
and even coming to church for a season. It's the power of God who affects the heart and cuts us from the old world and forges a new life. That's true circumcision. Nowhere is this more beautifully expressed than Colossians chapter 2. Paul is uh, alluding, I think, to Deuteronomy 30. But the allusion is so powerful in that it's beginning to happen in Paul's day. The promise that God will circumcise your heart is now taking place in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Col- Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Promised in the Old Testament, occurring now by Christ in His death and resurrection. That Christ was cut for us to cut us away from the old way of life. Give us hearts unto Himself. The spiritual reality, not the symbolic form that men could do to themselves, but the inner reality that only God can do. Cut with a circumcision made without hands in Christ. It's very interesting the context of this great passage, uh, there is an internal threat to the church. Probably from men who are promoting circumcision in the flesh. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. Man, we need to do what they were always doing in the Old Testament. Paul says that's now over with in Christ. He does it. Only He can. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So contextually, there is an attempt by some men who are professing Christians to turn them back to the law in all of its practices. Notice verse 17. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ is all in all, ladies and gentlemen. He is everything. He makes it happen. He changes our hearts. He cuts us, having been cut for us that we might live for Him. It's the hope of the Gospel, not wearing some sign. And that's really the reality of the text uh, that I read earlier in verse 10. In Him you have been made complete. And I will tell you throughout your life, ladies and gentlemen, someone is always going to come into your heart and say, you know what? If you'll do this, you'll really be complete. If you'll speak in this or practice this, 
you will really reach the level of completeness. So look at the text again. In Christ, you are complete. He leaves nothing out. He doesn't withhold anything. Recognize who you are. Completed in Christ. And if you're not, flee to Him. Sue for peace. Christ, not the law, completes us. And we were circumcision with a circumcision made without hands. Uh, it's very interesting to me in the Greek text, it's in the passive voice. That means that He, he does it. They are being acted upon. Men cannot circumcise their hearts. Only God can. So again, we were cut by Christ in the world. Uh, and now we are identified with Christ and totally complete without the law in all of its shadows. Uh, Greg Beale in his biblical theology says that the circumcision made with hands is a reference to idolatry and the context is that it is idolatrous to trust in Old Testament shadows, which was the law. And certainly the ceremonial law. Shadows of the greater reality that is to come. And once the reality has come, you come out of the shadows and you live for Christ because He cuts your heart in sovereign grace and power. It's always very interesting to me. Christians going back to the shadows. Thinking that all oh, this ritual will complete them when only Christ completes us. I went to a funeral for an acquaintance of mine who was a Christian a number of months ago. Uh, and I, I do believe my friend was a Christian. Uh, but he was a member of a church that uh, proclaimed a lot of shadows. Um, and so during the service, I was uh, trying to be observant, and I, I kept watching uh, the priest um, uh, do things like burning incense and uh, spreading water and I understand there was a laver in the Old Testament, and I understand there was incense in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, but I also understand that Christ is our tabernacle now, and we should put the shadows away. And then a couple of times during the service, um, he would, he would go behind a, a wall. I kept thinking, what, what was that? And it finally dawned on me he was going into the Holy of Holies, offering atonement for the dearly departed. Again, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies once a year and make atonement for the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ has entered the holy place of heaven for us. One time, for all time, and He completes us forever. For all who are in Him alone. And so we can leave the shadows. We don't need to make sacrifices
physically anymore or burn incense. We have an advocate in the heavenlies always pleading our case with the blood that He shed for us and that He cut our hearts. And so we leave the old for the new. And Colossians 2 is a beautiful illustration of the sovereign power of Jesus Christ who initiates the new covenant by cutting our hearts and claiming us as first fruits. And the permanence of our salvation. And that God forges the change. And so we leave the old for the new. And therefore, physical circumcision is no longer an issue. Neither does it define anyone as belonging to God. The internal circumcision of the heart does. And so, Romans uh, chapter 2 in verse 29, Paul says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Says so the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15-16. Neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. Christ is the Creator. The church is the new creation. Verse 16, those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's what we are. We're the true circumcision. In fact, that's exactly how Paul describes us in Philippians 3, verse 3. We are the true circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in fleshly symbols. Because Christ is our confidence. Because Christ makes us new. Because Christ is our Creator. And we are the new creation. And because Christ completes us. Why would we go anywhere else when we have Him? A reminder. Again, I understand. On occasion, we wear crosses. Nothing at all wrong with that. But be careful of conduct to exhibit the reality. And pray the Spirit of God to make that so because only He can. Because it's not in the wearing of something, it's in what Christ did upon the cross to affect your heart. Be very careful about shadows of the Old Covenant. Much of professing Christianity in a couple of the largest international churches that there are in Orthodoxy and the Roman Catholic Church embrace wholeheartedly the shadows of the Old Covenant. Because we're a New Covenant people. And we understand that the only sign that really matters is that Christ has given us new hearts and that we have a changed life and a changing life by the Spirit. 
Let that be our sign at Grace Bible Church to the world of the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone.